Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring your hosts, Heisey Luckmers and Charlie Harrington. The Amethyst Oracle. Delve into life, death, and everything betwixt between and beyond. Between and beyond. Between and beyond. With a clear twist. The Amethyst Oracle. Divination with a queer twist. And now, here are your hosts, Charlie Harrington and Heisey Whitmuller. And welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We are thrilled to have you once again joining us. My name is Hi C, and I will be joined momentarily by my co-host, Charlie Harrington. And I just want to let everyone know that you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. We're happy to have you like the page if you have any comments, feedback, questions, or if you are pulling cards or doing something with us in the show and would like to continue the conversation about that or let us know what came up for you, we're always happy to have you do that. Uh, Also, you can always hear any of our previous shows anytime after they have aired on Blog Talk Radio, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Firefly Willows Live, and all of the shows are archived there, ours as, as well as all of the other ones that air under the Firefly Willows L-I-V-E channel. And you can also find them on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and do a search for Firefly Willows Live. You can also search the Amethyst Historical. It'll pop right up there and you can listen, download, or subscribe for your listening pleasure automatically every time a new show airs. So do feel free to pop onto Facebook and or to listen to the shows on iTunes. And I do believe that my co-host has now joined us. So I'm going to say, hello, Charlie Harrington. Are you there? Are you there? I'm here. Hi, C. I'm here. (laughs) How are you? I am doing well. You know, it's. I find it interesting. I was going to say I'm looking forward to spring. But living here in California, I don't know what exactly I'm looking forward to with spring because... (laughs) We we've had we've had a winter where perhaps we were shivering because it was sixty degrees. I know. And you know, of late it's been in the seventies and it's not even hardly March. So while I watch everybody else, you know, have snow and everything else. But you know, I do kind of like the sense that things continue to evolve and change and move through cycles. Mm. <laughs> even if they're not obvious. The hills are green right now in the Bay Area, which we get until maybe like the middle of April <laughs> before they turn golden. So I that to me, the flowering of the um, the cherry blossoms that happens in like the South Bay and the, the different blossoms in the East Bay and then the green hills. 
uh, our, our little little cue that spring is here. <laughs> you don't have to wear a windbreaker sometimes. It's incredible. Live it up. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we're we're going to experience our dramatic shift mm. from 60s to 70s mm. weather as we change seasons. <laughs> Trey, incredible. So, and um, it's been some new changes for you. I hear that people can meet you real live and in person for their tarot needs these days because of uh, something new you've taken on. Well, that's true. I And I do meet people if they're in the Bay Area that I can meet them, but I've since the beginning of the year, I've started offering readings at a store in Oakland called The Sacred Well. You can just go to sacredwell.com. And uh, it's not just me there. There's other people there offering readings as well, but that is certainly one place that people can find me if they would like to have a reading in person. It gives me a little bit of access for all of the East Bay people um, because I'm based in the peninsula, which I know means nothing to anybody, but there's water in between. And uh, so it um, makes it a bit easier for people that aren't on the the peninsula side of the bay to uh, access me. And so I'm excited to be there. It's It's a cool little store. I encourage people just to visit it regardless of whether they're coming in for a a reading or not, but uh, you can have a quite the selection of crystals, especially they're quite known for their crystal selection. Um, so yes, the Sacred Well in Oakland is where people can find me um, at least once a week, if not more. Excellent. So, so I see often people say to us, we have great voices. You know, it, it, it's getting a bit much at times, to be honest with you. It, I, I agree. And by that, I, I don't mean just these pipes that you get to hear uh, <laughs> once a month, but our voices, readers, segue, segue, alarm, segue, <laughs> alarm. Uh, and I wanted to talk about how, as a reader, you develop your own unique, authentic voice. Um, so we have to think back, I see, into the misty, distant past when we first started reading tarot cards. When we Perhaps were... more distant for you than <laughs> if these lines could talk. <laughs> anyway, um, while well, thinking about this topic, um, how do we find our voice as a reader? So I thought back to when you when I first started out, and you get your your your, your uh, my deck of tarot cards, and it comes with the LWB, the little white book, and you sort of just trust that on in that book are the meanings of the cards. And these are the meanings of the cards. And it's my job as the reader to, you know, when when I plunk down, you know, the four of pentacles for a client to know the one thing that that means and just tell them. Because I'll have memorized it from this little white book. But uh, then when you, when, for me, when my, my perspective on reading started to grow a bit, I started to realize, oh, there's lots of really great comprehensive books written about the tarot. Some of them are really famous. I should read a book that's a bigger one. So the quest became, oh, well, which one of these is the the true one? What, what's the true meaning of tarot? Isn't there like an authentic, historically accurate one? Shouldn't we be doing that? Isn't like, well, why would we do anything that isn't what the first, you know, the founding fathers and mothers of tarot meant for us to be reading? Because I had no idea there was no such thing as all of that. <laughs> so uh, it became a perplexing quandary. The, not that 
when I when I always say that there's no one meaning, I'm not doing that in the new age sense that like, oh well everything's true and everything's right, whatever you're feeling at that moment and the tide of the moon. There really there there wasn't one. They weren't meant they weren't made as fortune telling cards. They were a a gambling deck. <laughs> and then meanings have been assigned to them uh by different people and uh oh crap. Now I have to make start making choices <laughs> about what I say, what I do, what I read, what school of thought I buy into. That was my journey up to that point of sort of tarot pubescence. What about you, Heisey? How did you first approach learning the cards? Uh, well, I went to get a deck, and there was a flyer for a beginner's class that started the following Saturday, lasting three Saturdays. Mm. So I went to that, which, if nothing else, was a, a very introductory um, access, was a way to just get into the very, very basics of it. Uh, I picked up a couple of books, one of which I think was very instrumental in how I approached uh, doing uh, readings and was also probably very influential in moving me beyond very quickly the idea of memorizing like what a little white book says and then just trying to hope I could remember those words and repeat those words when a card came up. Uh, and I will I'll leave that mystery for a moment, and then I'll say what it is. Um, so I I met a, a woman who became kind of a teacher and mentor to me that I was very fortunate to to come across, um, and she's both an astrologer and a tarot reader, and uh, and now actually is also a therapist. And uh, that you know one I think that started to expand my idea of tarot because she would be able to correlate astrology and tarot together which started to expand my way of seeing what the cards could mean and what they could touch on beyond just those few keywords that come in a little white book. Um, and six months after I picked up my first deck, and I did all the, what everyone does, I suppose, you know, little readings for friends and that kind of thing. And, of course, you pull the cards and you like are looking at the book to see what it means and mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, but six months after I picked up my first deck, I then decided to just jump in full force and decided to do readings at a Christmas party for Cisco where 2,500 people were in attendance. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, but going Trial back to fire. that. Well, exactly. However, going back to the book that was very instrumental, um, it was uh, Tarot for Yourself by Mary Greer. And, you know, that is a book that is specifically written not to say here are key words and here's what to memorize, but is very much written like a workbook so that by page three, you're like diving into actually work with the cards and play with the cards. And she's walking you through ways of doing it that's stimulating you to come up with your own understanding and idea of what those cards are saying rather than just here's these key words, what does this card mean if it's next to this one, if you put this word and this word together. So having had that, and then jumping into doing parties first, really triggered me to say, I have to just trust my own process with this, mm -hmm. because I can't be sitting there with a line of people coming one after the other at a party, and every time they sit down, I'm like, let me just look at the book and see what this is saying for you. <laughs> But the nice thing with that as well is you get a lot of instant feedback mm -hmm. because, you know, one after the other, you're getting people that are sitting down and they, oh, yeah, that's so right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Or, you know, well, what that means to me is. And so you start to to 
keep note of, oh, okay, that meant that for that person. So maybe that's another meaning that that card can have when I see a real life example of it. Um, so I think that the little white books can be useful to an extent as a little, as a jumping off point. But I think the more people do it, and the more people start to trust what comes to them or what they also see in those cards rather than just what did the book say is where they start to move from that beginner level to the next level. Yeah, awesome. I loved um, Tarot for Yourself. That was my first getting serious book. Um, and it's a workbook, and I think it's the first time I ever like used a workbook. I like filled up the pages with pencil just because <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm going to really do it this time. <laughs> and, you learn, and if you're going to do it that way, because initially I did that too, you learn to use pencil because you can go back and do those exercises over and over and over again, mm -hmm. and different cards are going to come up. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, use a pencil so that you can either erase something or so that you can write something else and something else, but it doesn't become so permanent. Or don't even write in the book. Find something else. I started or buy a second copy of the book. Mary Green needs to eat, y'all. That's true. <laughs> I, I started doing it on the computer. I actually would recreate the different um, worksheets and forms and things so I could just do it on the computer that way. That makes sense. For me, the, the another the big jumping off books that kind of expanded where I was in tarot was um, 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollack. Mm -hmm. And... When I was reading it, I didn't understand what she was doing at the time. I thought she thought it was incredible because she will talk about a card and she'll bring in the Kabbalah and she'll bring in um, this ancient story from this Greece. ancient story, a fairy tale, <laughs> you know, a Chinese proverb. And I thought at the time, I was young, that I was supposed to know all of this, you know, that what I was supposed to be able to look at that card and be like, okay, Rapunzel plus the numerology, you know, that's not, yeah. <laughs> what I didn't realize until much later, kind of embarrassing how long later, was that she's teaching you how to read rather than what to read, what to say, like how to look at the cards in a new way. And I think it was actually more her, um, coming out with her next book, uh, Forest of Souls, and the advent of what she called her wisdom readings that I kind of understood, okay, this is about how you experience the cards. And she happens to have this knowledge of ancient goddesses and numerology and Kabbalah. But you have different knowledge, and we'll we'll get up more to how to, to well, bring that yeah, in. Yeah, because it's really, for the cards, it's, it's more of that openness to saying, well, what else could there be there? What else is there? What other layers are there? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important even as a reader, as you're finding your voice to remember mm -hmm. is to, to approach it and be able to say what else mm -hmm. rather than it has to fit into some small little defined box. And I think once a person gets comfortable, that is when there are many other talents in life and their, their, their areas of interest and knowledge come into play as, as readers. And um, for, for example, you are quite versed in astrology and as a reader, you're able to look at the cards and not because the deck you're using has like coded astrological meanings into it. You take your knowledge of astrology and you apply it to what you're seeing um, and, and, and adding to the readings in that way, you know, giving people dates for things to think about or giving people, you know, traits of science to think about when they're, when they're uh, looking at the reading. Um, but it can, it can be anything. It doesn't have to even be any of the occult, sciences there's um if you have knowledge of psychology that's uh, a big one 
<laughs> for mm-hmm. tarot reading, the interpreting process. I use a lot of marketing knowledge um, and brand brand knowledge. That's my my day job uh, when I do readings because um, for not and not even just when that's what the question's about, but that can extra you, knowledge. Can you give an example of that? Yeah. So, um, so when someone is having trouble with their like finding uh, a lover, and um, I see a lot of brand awareness things in tarot, and I feel like, and brand is not a bad word. Brand is you are the brand. Everyone is their brand. The, the product is the brand. It's not anything sketchy, and. What often is happening when someone can't find a lover, it's not that they just haven't run across the person, it's that they're, what they're putting out is sending them the wrong message to the intended demographic. <laughs> and so um, uh, someone might say, you know, I just, um, gosh, like I just am trying, I'm trying so hard to find the person and, um, you know, and I'm ready for this in my life, but you, you get the four of pentacles. And you're thinking, okay, well, as a brand, I don't call them a brand, but it, I, <laughs> I take that into consideration. But this is being closed off. This is not, you're not communicating the, the unique thing about you. You're kind of, so I'm looking at the, the four of pentacles is seeing like, and, and using the kind of that, a bit of that language about branding. Um, and well, and I think that this illustrates a really important point, though. Mm-hmm. People shouldn't be afraid to pull from and utilize the knowledge, the skills, the experience that they have and that they know. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the occult things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, that sometimes people get intimidated because you do see a lot of that in the books because you'll see something that correlates Tarot and astrology or Tarot mm-hmm. and Kabbalah or Tarot and numerology or all of those mm-hmm. things at once. And, you know, people think, well, I don't know anything about those, so I can't really do anything like that. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, even if you don't know that, then... What do you know? Well, if and you were a that. soccer coach or a den mother, right. you, know, you know a lot about interpersonal groups. communication. Yeah. You know about you know what works and what doesn't in certain situations, maybe about organize, organization and structure or whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think people underestimate and undervalue mm-hmm. their own skills and talent and experience because they think that it's not woo-woo enough or it's not new-agey enough or it's not whatever versus, no, that's, perfectly okay too you know uh so and one of the, the the barriers for people around bringing this outside information into tarot is for some people can be the fear that you're not giving a tarot reading you're just telling this people what you would have told them person you would what you told them anyway and that can come up some readers sometimes i've observed readers seem to not really be paying attention to the cards and just telling the person what the advice they want to give them. and But you really uh, can be giving someone a tarot reading. It's just that your personal toolbox of examples and metaphors and strategies comes from these other things, from either interpersonal communication, if you've ever run a business, <laughs> you know, social media. These are all skills that can work their way into the language of your tarot readings and be useful. Well, and what you said there is, I think, very important because there's a difference between 
I lay out cards and then I really don't pay attention to them. I just give them the advice I think that I should be that that I want to give them about this situation mm-hmm. versus I'm allowing the cards to be the catalyst to trigger something from my own knowledge and experience mm-hmm. that may be relevant to both what the card is and the question that's being asked. Mm-hmm. And and some of that means we have to take our own bias out of it and mm-hmm. step away from our own either emotional response or subjectivity, uh, you know, if, if if somebody asks, a read, you know, in a reading is asking about whether I should divorce my husband and run off with this person I'm having an affair with or try to make my marriage work, the person who just immediately wants to give advice uh-huh. <laughs> and they yes. come from their own personal perspective will say, well, you know, uh, when you get involved in an affair, it never works out because you that's know that's just always like a, a false man. thing. And, yeah. <laughs> Whereas the cards that came up may have showed, you know, like the 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 five of swords for the marriage and the ten of cups for the affair. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly the cards are actually saying, and so that that the affair may actually end up being far more happy and satisfying for them, and that the person reading, if they're not paying attention to that are perhaps not going to give the person the right information. Uh, for me, it always says, my voice is simply the voice of the mailman. Mm-hmm. It's not up to me to craft the message. That's the cards that are going to do that. They're giving the message. I'm just the go-between, and I have to make sure that I'm translating that message as clearly and as effectively as possible to the best of my ability, rather than inserting myself in the message. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. And I think one of the big things when you're sort of developing your voice, when you're kind of expanding your 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 practice as a tarot reader, you have to decide how you're going to deal with those difficult cards and how you are comfortable <laughs> with talking about them. Um, I've never met a reader who would see, see the Five of Swords and just say, well, just kill your coworker. Just kill them. Off them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just then you can have everything you want. But um, for me, the five of uh, swords was a hard one. And I noticed in the beginning, I would be uncomfortable about this and I would not want to be a person who gave a particular kind of advice. So I would look at this and say, oh, the, the card is saying the opposite thing. So be careful about being a bully when the, the card is in the what do I do position, the five of swords. Oh, be careful about being a bully. And it made, it made no sense in the context of like the other cards or what the person's question was. When in the reality, you know, it's it's a bit more subtle than that. And it's just, mm, you should really push for what you want in this situation. You, it's okay for you to win. Don't be timid about winning. And and there you go. And no one got hurt. No uh, no animals were harmed in the making of this tarot reading. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's something that people have uh, when when they're uh, approaching tarot. It's, you, have, you have to consider, what am I going to do? with bad news. Well, and I think that that's really, as as your voice matures mm-hmm. and you find your voice more confidently um, and, and that your voice is, comes from a deeper place, that it's really about finding your authentic voice and speaking from a place of authenticity mm-hmm. and integrity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, authenticity is saying what's in the reading not saying, not looking at it worried that it's good news or bad news or what the person wants to hear or doesn't want to hear. It's simply saying, but this is the information or the message that the cards are conveying. And I have to stay authentic and true to that. And my integrity relies on me 
passing that message along. Just like if if the letter, if I'm the mailman mm-hmm. and you wrote a letter in French and sent it to this person and they don't speak French and now I have to translate it, <laughs> it's not up to me to provide commentary or translate it in a way that I think it should be said, even if I, like if you're sending a breakup letter and I have to translate that, it's not up to me to say, well... If I just paraphrase what he's saying, I'm not sure he's really breaking up with you. Maybe there's just some issues that you guys need to sort out mm-hmm. versus maybe I just need to say it seems that because what I found when I've done that, when it seems like it's going to be bad news or, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do when they hear this? If I say what I think the cards are really in- indicating here, usually when I say something like that, no matter how bad it is, they'll be like, I was afraid or I knew that's what they were going to say. Mm hmm. You know, there's there. It's a validation, but it's also not necessarily. Never have I found it to be a surprise mm-hmm. for the person. It may not be what they want to hear in the sense of that doesn't make me happy. However, that's what I pretty much knew I was going to hear, and so now this just validates it. So I've just got to deal with that <laughs> un- uncomfortable or um, unpleasant, you know, thing. So now, first, I'm now picturing you in a in a film where you play a French mailman. <laughs> and show up to people who are being dumped. And I think I've seen this movie. And Bonjour, it, Jane Doe. Yeah, it, I think it cost me 19.95 to watch that movie at the time, and I had to show my ID. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but um, definitely, one of the things I think that um, in order for you to speak the truth, you have to um, be in agreement with yourself that you're doing your very best to be of service to the client. And you will say what you're going to say, but they're going to get up from your table and make, you know, good decisions or decisions for themselves that are based on maybe what you've prescribed or advised, but it's their life. Or not. Yeah. It's it's letting go of the expectation. Yeah. It's It's saying as best as you can what is there and then letting go of attachments to the outcome mm-hmm. and saying, okay, I've given them the information. Mm-hmm. And once they step away from here, they have the information. It's up to them what they do with it. And I can't say this is the right thing or wrong thing necessarily for them to do. It's now up to them what they're going to do with it. I just have to make sure I have been as clear Mm -hmm. and authentic and true to what the cards and the message the cards had had to say so that I feel I've given them as much information as, as possible to decide from or to do nothing from. They may decide to do nothing even after hearing that. But at least I know I passed on the information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So another aspect about finding your voice um, as a reader is kind of trying to remember what did you imagine would happen when you became a reader? Who did you think you would be? Um, And this is not uh, an invitation to feel bad about lack of progress. This is no one, you know, we set out with certain expectations, but you will find clues about the kind of reader, the kind of readings you want to give, the kind of reader you want to be based on how you entered into this and what it was you wanted to do. How, you know, were, did you want to be the Oracle of Delphi <laughs> and people <clears throat> come to you and you speak, you know, from on high? Did you want to be the fun sort of gypsy woman who blows into town and gives people dishy advice and, you know, dances with a bear and, you know, and, you know, these are kind of, you know, different archetypal 
ideas. Some people are very divorced from that. They want to be the therapist. They want to be the non-woo-woo, you know, person in a light blouse with a nice scarf who just sort of uh, communicates things that are true within you. And the symbols help you, but you are there's nothing arcane going on. There, these are different ways of kind of entering into the tarot. And um, but beyond that. Um, there's different archetypes as readers. Uh, Christine Jett, in her book, Professional Tarot, uh, talked about different types of readers. Because I, I think she she had the same idea like, that we did about people maybe needing to find their voice as a reader and find what works for them. And she identified a couple. And, of course, there are probably many more uh Archetypes. It's almost like you know, doing a Cosmo quiz to see what <laughs> what kind of reader are you. Um, I'm sure someone's created a Facebook quiz for version of it. But the idea here is that there's probably one or two that you relate to strongly, and ultimately one goal might to be. Uh, she she had identified a, a sort of a super archetype, which she called the alchemist, which has the ability to blend some of the best parts of all of these different archetypes. Let me just talk about a few of the ones that she identified. She talked about the teacher, and the teacher believes it's their role to aid the clarent in sort of self-discovery. Um, the teacher is very conscious about leading the clarent to make their own choices, and they use a lot of open-ended reading techniques. So, um, for example, there, um, the nine of wands comes up. They're not going to tell the person, well, this is what you need to do they're more likely to say to ask a question like, so what is one thing you can do to create better boundaries? And they stop and they let the the clarent respond. Now, the, the benefit of this is, uh, one, you don't have to, like, pull out of the cosmos the exact thing that works in their situation. They're closer to it than you are. Uh, and it allows them to kind of, one, touch on what would really work and also what they're really willing to do. What the, what they're what what they're going to come away with you know what they could actually uh, pull off now one of the problems with the teacher archetype is that sometimes a clarent just wants a goddamn answer <laughs> they just want to be told what to do and they've been the the reason they called you <laughs> or got to your table or wherever is that they've been spinning their wheels on this this is a big momentous thing for them and they need help in making that choice. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about the teacher archetype? <laughs> um, well, going back to something you said earlier, you know, I, I do like to wear a nice blouse and scarf when yeah. I'm dancing with a bear, but that's right. maybe that's, <laughs> that may be a whole different scenario. Well, then you're an alchemist, I see. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just in a bar on Folsom. Um, so I think that I think the question approach can be very beneficial. Uh, I think you have to be careful that you don't use it as a crutch to get out of ever having to say anything. Because <laughs> right. that's a, it's like a fear of taking responsibility for the, the reading itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I didn't tell you to do that. That was your idea. Yes. <laughs> uh, however, you can't let teaching slip into being a lecturer. Mm-hmm. And everything is about, you know, well, let me... Let me enlighten you. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me, you know. Um, so I, I think it, you have to be careful with that. But I think that it is good to use a reading as a teaching moment, mm-hmm. as long as the teaching moment can lead to something more concrete for the person, if that's what is needed or the type of question that it is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, it, it's one thing to go to a class in a, at school that is all about theory. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to go to a class where you have the the learning portion and then you go to the lab where you actually put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's that combination or if the teaching part can lead to the practical application part, then the teaching method can be very useful and very beneficial. Mm-hmm. But if it's just theory for the sake of theory or there's nothing there, I think that's what you're in, in some ways kind of similar to what you were talking about. There's nothing for the person to grasp onto mm-hmm. to, to get an answer or to get a sense of what direction to go or what to do in the situation because it's just all this high-level philosophy. <laughs> so be careful of that, teachers. Um, another archetype is the advisor. And the advisor um, is the person who just wants to tell the client what they they see and what they think the client should do. Um, advisors typically have the best boundaries of all the different archetypes of readers. They want to just give... Um, they're probably the best at predictive reading. Um, they just... This is what's coming up for you. And... The advice to give is generally practical and action oriented. So do this. Open a savings account. Leave your boyfriend. You know, in that order. So um the good thing about so advisors tend to see all clearance questions as problem solving. They sort of imagine that there's an answer hidden in the spread. And it is their job to look at the narrative of the cards and go, ah! Here's the connective tissue between all of these things. This is what you need to do. Um, I think I often fall, I, I probably relate very closely to this archetype. And I will tell you, one of the big challenges is you can get really excited about your own narrative. You can get really into like You're looking at the cards and you say, oh, I see this happening. Okay, that that looks like a really domineering person. And oh, okay, here later I can see that domineering person's had an effect on them and it's really strange. So what they need to do, ah, yes, here, is they need to, like, and um, every card seems to kind of grow in strength. The King of Swords is even more tyrannical <laughs> because that really fits into my narrative that I'm giving. And I'm kind of going down the sundry path of imagining what this person's life is. And you come to the end and they sort of look at you like, well, no, it doesn't really resonate for me. Um, I don't I don't think of him as very domineering, you know. And I have to go all, all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, look at what you're telling the person. Um, also, uh, the advisor types, you're going to get frustrated as a reader. Sometimes the, the reading is not about finding the solution, finding the key, the answer. There's something, sometimes there's something else going on. Sometimes there's growth. Sometimes it's there's something else. And um, advisor types, if they can't find that, they, they tend to feel like the reading isn't over yet. But that's been my experience. But what do you, what do you think of the advisor? Well, I'm thinking that if you're in an advisory role, really that means you're not there to have a specific answer or even to get lost in one specific narrative. You're actually there to help try to see things from a variety of perspectives or consider a variety of different um, uh, actions and, and thinking about what this action might lead to or what this path might take us to kind of thing. And so I think that if you're a good advisor, Mm -hmm. then you are able to present options or sometimes subtle variations of what's being, what's coming through in a reading. 
-hmm. so that the person can start to hear or figure out what resonates for them in this reading without you having had to be the one to find it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and actually that's something that I learned, you know, because we talked about like speaking French, you know, like learning a foreign language, because in a sense, learning to row is like learning a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, like learning French, what it did is it taught me to think in a way that how can I find a way to say something in a way that the under person, the other person will understand or will resonate for that person when I don't have the vocabulary to say it in the way I might be used to in my native tongue. Mm-hmm. So you find a way to say things and look at things and approach things from four different angles in order to convey the message without getting lost in the details. Do you ever find yourself changing your word choices? based on kind of what you're perceiving about the client and what maybe like the kind of message that would resonate more with them in that way? Oh, sure. Sometimes I can get that by what they seem to be responding to as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now for me, a, a personal style for me, when a person first sits down for a reading, I have three decks on the table, but they're all in the same bags. Mm-hmm. So they can't tell the decks apart. Mm-hmm. And I have them choose a deck. And, but I, I have three different decks that are very different in feel and style, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the deck they choose, I can tell whether they need information given to them in a very direct, forthright way, or if they need something given in a little more soft, hand-holding, let's just kind of gently get there mm-hmm. kind of yeah. way, you know, or even sometimes in a very spiritual way. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I can use more spiritual terminology and that kind of thing you know, with this person. So that's one way that I actually kind of um, get that indication right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I certainly will uh, adapt my language or way that I say things um, based on the, sometimes based on the person or, or the way that they seem to be responding to the reading. And I think that's just important because otherwise, I mean, if you you know, you can't necessarily speak Rachel Pollack-ese <laughs> to, right. you know... like or, or, or if you tend to be a very direct person and that's your your reading style. Mm-hmm. And if you're being really direct with the person and they're like breaking down in tears, it doesn't mean keep hammering them <laughs> with like very direct information. Yes. Sometimes right. we have to learn to shift a little bit to meet them where they are so they can continue to actually be receptive to the reading rather than, I need to get this point across, and I'm the reader, so I this is what I do. This is my style. I noticed that advisor types tend to, online or in, in the tarot community, think they're a little tougher than they are, and they think, like, I just tell it, you know, I just tell it how it is. I just, you know, whatever, you know, comes up, you got to deal with it, blah, blah, you know, and if that person, well, good, because they needed me to tell them that, blah, blah. And then they get a real person in front of them and they're like, oh, dear heart, <laughs> yeah. how you have suffered. I know that for me. Like, I, oh, I can't just write this off as, you know, you got yourself into this. Like, it's, you know, let's work on this together. Let's arrive at a solution together. So, something to look at there. So, um, she had two different ones. She had the healer and the mystic. And I think that they have something in common. So, the healers tend to see all readings they do as... Uh, um, uh, a need for healing. There's the name uh, in that person's life, and they're looking for the wound. Um, and the mystic, uh, the mystic is not is, is reading at a much higher 
vibration than other people. And they tend to look at, like, you know, someone can sit down and say, I'm looking, you know, for what to do next in my career. And the mystic is looking at what what is this person's soul's journey in this life? And, um, you know, uh, how, what, what does their, their essential self, their higher self want? How is their shadow getting in the way? Uh, one of the, the wonderful benefits of being this kind of reader is that, um, sometimes people, um, just get a little too hyper focused on those trees and they forget there's a forest. You know, and they, um, it's helpful to sort of see the issue that they're looking at. Let's say the, go back to that poor person who can't find a lover, not as, um, uh, something immediate that's happening to them right now in 2015, but a bigger pattern in their life. And, um, the mystic tends to not read for the symptoms, um, but the, the, the cause, the deeper, the the, the, the the root. Um, they often are the ones who can advise spiritual techniques. They're the ones who'll tell a person maybe you need some meditation, or grounding, or Reiki, or past life regression, you know, or uh, things like that. And I think a lot of mystics function best as gatekeepers for the spiritual realm. They are the person who sort of stands at the threshold and muggles, to use that word, come <laughs> to, they don't have that language. They haven't studied this. They haven't thought about their shadow. They they don't know what they're rising, saying, whatever it is. Um, and the, the, the reader functions not as someone who's going to, you know, crack the door of the spiritual realm open, get the message and come up and go, okay, this is what you need to do. They're, they see themselves as a the person who's going to open that gateway for the person and allow them to have a um uh you know a better experience. I've noticed though, so that if we're looking at everyone's little cons and faults, they sometimes get into the practice of being a bit one note. And when I've worked with these people in tarot workshops, the answer to every question is hmm, you need to look at your spiritual practice. I think you need a, a spiritual practice, a regular spiritual practice. And you know, you're sitting there thinking like I have a regular spiritual practice lady. <laughs> but um I just need to know where to look for a job. That's really they don't, sometimes they don't answer the goddamn question. <laughs> like, uh, and you know, and it, it can be, um, they, they, maybe they fall into that person who who has kind of a, a a lofty idea of what they're here to do sometimes. And so, if someone comes to them and says, "I can't find a boyfriend," and they're like, "Well, you know, my darling, you need to be in love with yourself. Let's <laughs> let's go on a past life regression and see where in your past lives you learned to hate yourself. You know, and then we can." Um, Sometimes, and also sometimes, um, this type of reading can be a bit, can seem a bit cold because they're the kind of reader who can sometimes sort of fall into something we saw when the, the secret was really popular, which is victim blaming and letting people know, well, the reason you have cancer is that your soul wanted to learn, you to learn to let other people nurture you. So now you have stage two cancer and that you're, you know, you're fulfilling that need. <laughs> You know, which is great for a person to hear. I'm being a bit hyperbolic, of course, but that is a thing that sometimes people say. Um, but what are uh, what are your thoughts? I see the mystic, the healer. <laughs> um, well, I think there can be a bit of overlap with the teacher and the mystic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mystic. It depends 
maybe we could talk about the alchemist is really re- representing this and, and you can, um, you know, tell me that that's really covered by that archetype. But to me, the mystic is one of the more important types of reading roles because if, if it's done well, because it can keep in mind the perspective of the larger umbrella mm-hmm. under which the day-to-day stuff is happening and that there is, you know, you can connect those dots to see that there is a bigger picture to how this can fit into things. And sometimes we don't need to get so upset or caught up in this one thing when we can see, like when you talk about seeing patterns, that can actually be an extremely important insight because mm-hmm. if we can start to recognize and if the mystic archetype as a reader is able to step back for the person because the person is able to do this in that moment and see a bigger pattern of behavior that is constantly getting in the way mm-hmm. of what they're asking about, then I think that's a very important role that the reader can play for that person to help mm-hmm. bring some of that um, bigger perspective you know, to the table. Since you're... I think very good <laughs> to put that particular archetype. I'm sure. Have you had experiences where someone comes That's in? That's right. Yes. Yes. Of course. Um, where someone came in with they they thought they had the they knew what the question was, but you were able to open them up to that sort of bigger reality of. Actually, that's not the question. <laughs> I know you're asking about looking for a job, but this is really about healing that wound of Ooh. the past life experience. <laughs> no, but you know. Well, yes, although I have learned not to assume that I know what the question should be. Mm-hmm. What I have found, though, is as I start doing the reading the other person will say, well, that really makes me think of, or, well, that really makes sense, and it seems to really relate to, and then they start to tie that in for themselves Mm -hmm. to some other aspect or some bigger part of their life in some way. Um, Like I had a a client today, and, you know, their initial question, um, and it started to come around to this idea of uh, a challenge with boundaries and things, but they were asking about work. And all of a sudden, they started saying, you know, well, you know, it makes sense that you say that because that's actually how I am. You know, I can see how I am at work like that, but that's exactly how I am with my sister. And I haven't, you know, and that's exactly how I am with my mother and exactly how I am with my girlfriend. (laughs) And so, you know, now we've uncovered a larger pattern and a larger picture to start working from because if they can start changing it in one of those things or on one of those levels, it'll start a much bigger shift for them overall in a lot of different areas. Uh, I think the healer Mm -hmm. is the most dangerous archetype that people can fall into. Because if they don't have either proper training Mm -hmm. (laughs) in how to be in that kind of a role, or if they are just not really well suited to being in that role, then it quickly becomes the fixer Mm -hmm. or the savior. Um, and they either are trying to always do that for everyone and or they get caught up in measuring their own success as a reader by whether they were able to fix or save the person or not. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Uh, And it can get into ego (laughs) at that point, right? As like, you know, um, I'm here to save you. (laughs) I I, I see the problem. But it's like the doctor who loses a patient Mm -hmm. And they think that, oh, I must not be a good doctor because I wasn't able to save this one person. 
Now, they could have done the best they can with whatever they had available to them to work with, but because the person died and they weren't able to save them or fix them, they feel like they have failed. And they could have had amazing success with 20 other patients prior to that. And I think, oh, yeah, that would be, <laughs> that would be, you know, you, you can't save them all. <laughs> but um, I think the mystic can give some of the most beautiful readings, the readings that really stick with people. I, I noticed that I would um, I would read for people and they would say, well, well, I've been told that, you know, I'm a teacher or they've, I've been told I'm a healer or I'm, a, I'm, you know, and I kept thinking, like, who, what asshole is telling all these these people, like, other these, like, iconic things, like, these dramatic things, that's not a way. And then I started to, like, these are the things people remember. This is the things people took away and, like, and grew from and wore this, wore it well, you know, whatever the, the, the person that was, whatever it was. So I kind of tried to work that in. And it, it's not the place I go to all the time, but in readings, I remember I was reading for someone... Um, the Queen of Cups from the, the Thoth Tarot came down and I felt encouraged to read uh, from that perspective and I didn't get caught up in what the Queen of Cups means in the books or what, you know, or even I let the Queen of Cups herself go and I looked at the card and I saw the um, Lotus that's in that in, in the Queen of Cups. I feel like it's the Queen of Cups that has the Lotus. I really hope that's true or else the rest of the story doesn't make any sense. But um, I stopped, you know, I kind of straightened my spine and I looked at the person and I said, you know, you are the lotus. You are unfolding out of the darkness and the muck and um, to the truth and you're, 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 the, 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 the seat of the soul is open, blah, blah, you know. And it was a profound experience kind of for both of us. <laughs> and the person saw themselves, like, I am the lotus, you know. I am, this is, this is who I am. Maybe right now. Maybe, you know, in my life. And that was a much more profound, nicer feeling reading than if I had talked about, well, Queen of Cups, or they're usually good at listening and they're like emotional caregivers, you know, that, that kind of thing. Well, but I think that's an important point when we, 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 theoretically, I think we want to be all of these archetypes at mm -hmm. different times as a reader. And that's mm -hmm. part of the process of finding your voice. As your voice matures and develops, you find, you know when to use which voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it's getting out of the way and allowing yourself to trust this is the right approach that feels right in this moment for this reading. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to simply do that and allow that rather than thinking that, that having a bias against a certain type of or approach to reading or thinking that's not my style, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. I think the perhaps the for me and maybe this will be a personal bias but mm -hmm. for me kind of the the negative side of the mystic mm -hmm. is the type of reader who in essence is responding to every question with something along the lines like well i know that you don't have a job right now but don't worry your guardian angels are watching over you yeah. and it's all going to be fine yeah, I know you'd need to know whether to go through with this divorce or not, but your spirit guides and guardian angels are around you, and they will like lead you in the right direction. You know, yes. and there is a time and place for that, mm -hmm. but when that's basically your default approach to everything, it doesn't really serve the person you're talking to when that's not the right kind of information they need. Absolutely. And um, it's sort of, it's 
kind of divorced from reality because in reality, you know, people fall on hard times and those hard times are not just this beautiful lesson that turns them into this wonderful thing. Sometimes people never get back from those hard times, you know. Sometimes people never come up from that. And, um, and, and sometimes the mystic part comes in when they've moved past the hard times. Mm-hmm. So that the ability to look back and understand what lesson that had to offer us or why we needed to go through that in the larger mm-hmm. scheme of things, you know, that can be a very important thing to do. But when they're in the middle of it, Mm-hmm. They need the advisor or the teacher, perhaps. And it's interesting. Um, it kind of like, kind of relates to Maslow's like Maslow's hi- hierarchy of needs. You know, like the people. I don't know if like in in school, we always told Maslow's hierarchy of needs, a little pyramid, and the bottom is like food and shelter, and then like right. you know interconnectedness with others. And the top, it's like spiritual becoming. It's like the the top of the pyramid. And yeah, if um, another reader, she's a rune reader. I'm trying to remember her name. Um, recently posted a video where she talked about readings and socioeconomic class. And she noticed the kinds of readings she was doing in one community, maybe her online community, were about, you know, what what do I need to know? What does self need to know? What do I need to expand my creativity? And her in-person readings at the store that she worked at were, like, the the lower level, like... um, uh, I need to get a job, you know, I don't. I need to know if I need, should leave my husband, that kind of thing. And her take on it, she, she had really interesting ideas about class and divination, but she just was able to pivot, you know, between those different communities and give the reading that they needed to the to the person that needed it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and I think that that goes back to the, you know, as you as you find your voice and become more comfortable in your voice, and stay true to your voice. Staying true to your voice doesn't mean you lock it into any one of these archetypes. Mm-hmm. Staying true to your voice says, I know which voice to use in in which type of situation. The same way as, you know, we may talk to a work colleague differently than we'll talk to our mother, and mm-hmm. that may be different than we'll talk to our best friend. So there's three different voices that we use mm-hmm. because we understand which one is right for the situation and for the interaction. Absolutely. And since you brought them up, um, I've noticed a lot more people um, who identify as mediums using oracle decks, often um, like more like the angel readers, or people who work with the Ascended Masters tend to use oracle decks now to give their readings and communicate with spirit guides. And I just think it's very important for anyone doing that type of mystical work to remember that the the spirit guide is speaking, but it's through the filter of you, and to sort of be aware of that, in both in like in a positive and a negative way. Like you're allowed to, your voice is allowed to be heard. You know, this isn't just a game of telephone, but also to remember that where 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 is my own ego getting into play? Because I think when 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 people are reading for spirit guide or give, or giving readings um, that they're receiving from spirit guides or ancestors or anything, I think that's one of the places where ego can kind of really manifest <laughs> in a big way in the reading and the person can kind of get into this idea of, oh, I'm telling you what the spirits want you to know It's and, and just completely blast the person. <laughs> well, I think that you can recognize ego getting in the way when you are either disappointed that the reading isn't going the way that you think it should Mm -hmm. or disappointed that it doesn't seem like the person is getting it or or (laughs) listening to what you're saying or is resisting 
uh, what you're saying or what you are suggesting they do. Do you have any techniques um, for that, for what to do in that situation? Well, I never fall into that. Oh, of course, of course, of course. But let me think hypothetically, really hypothetically, <laughs> some lesser alchemist. Um, well, for me, it's just taking a moment to step back, and it, sometimes it's the willingness. I, I've I've I found that even just being willing to say, well, to the person, if they're like, this doesn't make sense, or they're they're being very resistant or whatever, is you know, for me to be able to say, you know. Now, I'm just human. I, I have full faith in what the cards have to say, but sometimes I can see it wrong. Sometimes I can misinterpret it. Mm-hmm. And and there, that's where you might learn how to switch roles in the moment mm-hmm. because you might, you might switch over to teacher role and suddenly start thinking, so what do you see when you see this card here? Mm-hmm. So you start getting them to begin to lead to where it needs to be going because perhaps you're not getting there for them in the right way or in the way they need to hear it or whatever. But it's it's the willingness to be wrong mm-hmm. and not think I know everything or I have to know everything because this person is expecting me to know everything as the reader mm-hmm. about the cards and all of that kind of thing. Capital T, capital R, the reader. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, so being able to step back and and... I guess be humble. I don't know, but uh, just the the willingness to say I, I can get it wrong, mm-hmm. but that doesn't have to be the end of everything. Especially if I'm willing to engage the other person as part of the process to see if we can together get it right, mm-hmm. rather than I have to get it right as the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess one one technique for finding your voice as a reader is when you're giving a reading. Oh, sorry. Um, when you're giving a reading to someone and that little thing, that little thought pops into your head, you know, you're reading uh, about for a person and you see the five of cups and it just, it pops into your head. Uh, maybe this person has some credit card debt problems. And the first few times off that that'll come up for a person, often they won't say it because they think, oh, I'm just making that up or that that's, I've never read anywhere credit card problems, the five of cups. Um, it's okay, and there's a technique for doing it, which is to just sort of say, well, gosh, now this isn't, you know, not normally something I'd say for the Five of Cups, but it just kind of came into my head. Uh, uh, you know, letting the person know, like, this is something, you know, that you're, you're, you're just trying out. It's sort of, it's something that manifested for you. And just sort of like, you know, is there anything involving credit issues in this situation? And that gives the person to, the opportunity to say, no, I don't have any problem with that. To like, you know, to let you know like that wasn't the direction to go in, or to just absolutely, you know, say like, yes, this is that is something that's going on for me actually. It's funny that you should mention that, <laughs> and then you can go through. So it's allowing. I feel like part of finding your voice is allowing yourself to come through when you're trying to give the tarot reading that you know you can give and you're supposed to give to allow that those thoughts. Well, it's trusting the process. Mm-hmm. And then not being afraid to ask the question when you're unsure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think so that the, the thing to watch out for that I've found, and you, it, this often is something that manifests when you're, when you're doing like reading at a party and you're giving like a dozen readings one after the other, is to look for, is there the thing I always tell everyone? Is there the, the, the piece of advice I'm always giving? In the beginning when that would happen, I'd sort of think, man, there must be something about this group today <laughs> that, like, 
everyone needs to know about the leap of faith. You know, gosh, like taking a leap of faith just really came up for this group. And really the reality is like, hmm, was that me? Like, is that my... Well, but see, and I tend to go, but see, I'm perfectly comfortable Mm -hmm. with seeing it as there's a reason why this particular group of people is is in the orbit of each other right now, because there's Mm -hmm. something going on Mm -hmm. that that ties them all together. And it could be this overarching theme of taking a leap of faith or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever it might be. So I I did worry about that initially, Mm -hmm. especially when I would do like a whole bunch of readings back to back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But but for me, I just came around to understanding more there. It's kind of like when you talk about soul groups, if you want to talk about like past lives and stuff Mm -hmm. and why people always end up kind of with each other in different lifetimes. It's to me a very similar kind of thing is happening. There's kind of this this something is tying all these people together and this is the reason why they've all come into this place at the same time and are all getting readings mm-hmm. at this particular moment in the because they all needed to hear this. And so I just step out of the way and say, Well, I guess that was the the overarching theme of the night or, or you know, whatever that needed to come through for these people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and I've had that because, you know, I I usually calculate year cards mm-hmm. um, at the start of a, a reading. And sometimes I can't do that at a party if it's like just nonstop. But even at parties, a lot of times I try to do it really quickly. And, and I found, you know, I can be at a party. It can be like a company party where there's 500 people. And yet if 25 people sit down and get readings from me, I'll end up with like, you know, 10 of them all having the same year card. Oh, wow. And so it, it starts to point to this idea that there's something more in common that's going on mm-hmm. as to why these people are together at this particular time mm-hmm. in their lives. Um, so I, I I actually trust that when there's kind of a theme like that, that there, there's a reason why, because all these people are together for a particular reason. Absolutely. I Yeah, I guess they, you, they're sort of like, some people just end up on the same wavelength. <laughs> and then I just think, well, I guess it's the people who sat down to get ready from a tarot reader. <laughs> well, and I think that they're also affected by each other. You know, it's kind of like when women get together, if they're in, in with other women, mm-hmm. um, you know, for an extended period of time, they start to have their cycles together. Mm-hmm. And and I think energetically, it's the same kind of thing can happen. If If the same people are all working together in a company, you know, for multiple years, that there's kind of this synchronistic, cyclical, energetic thing that starts to happen. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. So another thing that, um, I guess, what are the things to like watch out for when you're developing your voice and you want it to be authentic? The thing to watch out for, I guess, would be what is shtick and what is mystique. I think uh, in a rabbit. Uh, at the Sacred Wells Tarot class, she talked about developing yourself as a reader, but avoiding the mystique. And I think sometimes the mystique is left over from when we wanted to be a tarot reader, and we had certain ideas about tarot readers, and often they came from popular entertainment, you know, like the gypsy woman in the movies, or Professor Trelawney, or whatever it was. <laughs> um, to it, um, watch out for things that aren't authentically you, but you feel like you're supposed to be doing them. 
um, and they might be getting in the way of you, you having your voice. It's, it's, it's fun to adopt things, especially if you're reading at a party or a fair. You can definitely be in character a bit. Um, but I've noticed, so for example, um, sometimes as a reader, uh, you, you're tempted to sort of have little verbal reactions to the cards before you start the reading. You give yourself like, hmm, oh, oh, I see. Or the death card comes up and you throw your hand to your forehead and say, no. Man. <laughs> you will die. Um, or even a, well, yes, yeah, well, I'll, I'll stick to it. <laughs> yeah, the, um, to watch for things like that or feeling like you're always supposed to have some sort of Taoist aphorism you know, <laughs> to give the person or I think this is haiku. like looking for your tics. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if, if someone is a public speaker and that's like, you know, what they do all of the time, they, you know, or, or if people, especially if they tend to be recorded a lot, what you have them do is have them listen back to themselves and they start to realize how often they say, um, mm -hmm. or how often they say like, or, you know, something, just little things that we never notice about ourselves in our normal everyday way of talking, but it comes across when we're having to express that in a more formalized setting. Mm. And I think that that's part of what I'm hearing you say anyway is, you know, listen to yourself mm -hmm. and, and be open to how people respond and what kind of feedback you get. If you feel like you're constantly having to re-explain something because when you initially say it, people say they don't understand or they don't know what that relates to for them, mm -hmm. you know, take that constructively and say, okay, maybe I need to work on my communication style. Maybe I need to pay attention to the way that I explain things and find a different way to go about it because I keep hearing over and over again, people aren't quite understanding it the first time I say it. Mm, absolutely. Uh, a great technique for this is to date a person with Asperger's. <laughs> I did this one time. <laughs> I did one person with Asperger's, but uh, they, they, they pick up on certain things like that. And um, he pointed out, well, do you always have to say, do you always say, there you go, when anyone says anything? And I hadn't realized I did that. You know, I'd say something, right. say something I'd say, oh, there you go. And he's like, do you think it's because you need to always have the last word? <laughs> and I thought, damn. <laughs> and that's not the truth. Of course it is. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was useful. So you don't have to do that. You could, rec you could record yourself <laughs> with your phone and just play it back. But, like, looking for... Often they're the things you say when you're insecure or nervous or you're trying to buy time in the reading. Um, and they're not dangerous. They're not, they're, they're not awful. <laughs> you're, you're allowed to have these things. But just keep an eye out for them. They can maybe sometimes get in the way of you developing your voice. Well, right. It's just like the um. Mm -hmm. You know, and because I've, you know, with especially doing my other show with interviewing people so much and especially recording them, mm -hmm. you know, I've really noticed it's one thing if you do uh, an hour presentation and here and there sprinkled in, uh, there's an occasion where you're talking about points and you say, and, um, and then you keep going on and on and on. But there's a difference between that and somebody who says something like, so what you're seeing here um, is uh, what we were going to talk about today. And um, this this slide that I'm showing you is um, a, a graphic of, of what's going on with our business. And, um, you know, and so that is that becomes distracting for the listener mm -hmm. and it takes away from the message you're conveying, even though the content can be exactly the same. Mm -hmm. 
And it's that kind of thing that I think what we're talking about is what you want to look for. And not that it's bad to do it. You can still have a little bit of it, but if it's excessive or distracting, then it becomes a, a bit more of a problem. They're often the things you uh, repeat a lot. So some people, there's yeah. um, 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 so we're going um, 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 to, or they, you know, they, they say like, right, right, right. Yeah, right, right, right. They have the, the little, yeah. it's a little verbal tick. So something to look out for. This is advanced, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think one important thing for people uh, in, in the process of finding your voice as a reader is how to start a reading, but more importantly, how to end a reading. Mm. Because it, it's remembering that you're in control of the reading. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, a client, you know, uh, we will have done a reading for an hour, and we have very clearly been able to delineate what they needed to know, and maybe what direction or what action to take or whatever. And then the inevitable question: So, is there anything else you see? Is there anything else I need to know? And you can feel a pressure as the reader to think that. You have to give them more. Well, the answer well, can't just be no. Maybe, maybe I have to. Yeah. <laughs> or probably the, the flip of that probably would be like the, the reading was very clear. They came in for thirty minutes, and in five minutes you've been able to very clearly see option A is quite best for you to follow. Option B would be horrible for you to follow. So I don't think that there's a lot to say about it. Pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And you think you somehow have to fill the time, or you allow them to keep asking another question. Or making you feel like you have to see more because they keep saying, is there any more that you see? Is there anything else I need to know? And so part of finding your voice is also knowing how to use it to bring a reading to a natural conclusion Mm. and letting it stop and rest there. So finding your voice knows how to, is also knowing how to shut your voice up when (laughs) it's not time to do so. Yeah, so uh, maybe just get all Yul Brynner, like, the reading is over. <laughs> Be gone. Be gone from here. We shall not meet again. <laughs> kind of. Actually, I like that. I'm going to try that one. Doom. <laughs> Doom upon you. Well, um, one technique for that, uh, again, this is a class with Rabbit. <laughs> There's a lot of good little things from her class. So she talked about um, that the reader, the relationship with the, re- the client has to have a natural defined ending and beginning. And so she would talk about so you lay out the five cards, and then in one sentence, which is hard, sum up the reading. Even though you haven't fully explored it yet, you're going to still discover things. Look, spend, Take a second, look at all the cards, sum up the reading. Hmm. Well, I can see that definitely there's been some challenges with um, finding your, your place at work, but it looks like there is going to be a great way or an opportunity for you to own a new project, and that'll be good for you. So let's take a look at that. Here's the first card, and you go with that. And so it's that tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So that way, that allows you at the end to kind of have that moment of, well, it looks, so as you can see, you know, it looks like I think the best thing for you to do will be that opportunity. And yes, of course, they're going to follow up with the, anything else? What else? Or, you know, in the 14th minute of a 15-minute reading, like, okay, so what about my love life? Well, we can look at that yeah. if you would like to come back for another session. Yeah. This particular session is now coming to yeah. a close, and we've covered the, the topic or the question mm-hmm. you've come in for. Another, I guess, way, way around that would be to like create this little ritual. Be like, okay, so now that the reading is, let's hold, hold, this, hold this rock. <laughs> let's breathe with, with, with that reading and 
bring it back up and then release it. Kind of if you ritualize it a little bit. Now there's the mystique I was warning people against, but <laughs> if you well, uh, but I don't think mystique is always bad. No, like like because I I've basically adopted that as a way to bring a reading to a close. Um, because the end of each reading I was offer. Uh, if the person wants it, I always offer for us to identify an herbal or a crystal ally mm-hmm. um, that they can use to support them in whatever intention they decide to ask for, whether it's something from the reading or not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once I've done the reading, I'm able to say, you know, so, you know, what I like to do to finish every reading is, and then I give them this option. So it's made it very clear the reading is done. It's not opening up for them to ask more questions, but it's also giving them something kind of tangible to take away with them that that helps to kind of seal the deal mm-hmm. and, and, and bring the session to a close. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm just identifying what it is. I don't have like all these crystals and herbs and everything that they, you know, I'm going to give them, but I'm going to tell them what comes up and then they can easily go out and get that for themselves if they so choose. But it, it makes for a nice way and it does have a little mystical quality to it, you know, because of the herb or crystal. But it's a nice way to bring closure to the session mm-hmm. without it being this hard close of, okay, and I guess we're done. Thanks for coming. And it gives that person a magical action item. You know, you're giving them a right. little quest. Like, that's right. go and find the rose. <laughs> go. Crystal only grows in one mountain in the Himalayas that you can get to by a donkey on the third Thursday after the first <laughs> Yes. Full. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, but that stuff is the stuff people remember. You know, like, well, on a Thursday. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're like, okay. I mean, you could probably do what I do, but if you did it on a Thursday, you might do it. So, so yes, excellent. So, hopefully, um, this conversation has helped people think about their voice as a reader and... And I think beyond being mm-hmm. just a reader, I think anybody, whether they're readers or whatever field, profession, or thing that they do, that it helps them to think about what role am I taking on and how am I using my voice in that profession, in that situation, um, and, and trusting that authenticity and integrity is probably the most important aspects of their voice, mm-hmm. to not be afraid to use their voice to not be afraid to quiet their voice when they need to listen to what the other person is asking and saying rather That's than hard. thinking they have all the answers. That's hard. <laughs> but I think this is, this is easily applicable if you expand it out. You know, the theory of it is easily applicable to any situation, any type of uh, profession um, that someone may be in. Absolutely. And... Uh... Remember that person that you're, you're interacting with, be it in a reading or wherever else, they're not with every other expert or every ascended being or teacher. They're with you. They came... The ultimate ascended you. being. They had, yes. At least as far as any of us can be aware of. A.K.A. High C. That's right. You came to High C. Hopefully all of you just <laughs> to High C for the reading. Otherwise, you're probably screwed. <laughs> so. Only if you want enlightenment and ascension. That's right. Otherwise, go to any other reader. I don't care. Well, that's why you're coming out with that line of inflatable high C-shaped dolls, right? That will have pre-recorded messages from you. Yes, and those will be sold in specialty stores. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Fine, it's a dream. <laughs> anyway, wonderful. Well, when we come back from a little musical interlude, we will 
engage in our Living the Queer Life segment, and we're going to focus this week on having that authentic voice as long as you're queer. to the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show. And we're back to live the queer life. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually back on the Amethyst Oracle. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Now, Is that where I am? <laughs> and it's just the living the queer life segment. I guess I should have been not taking all those quaaludes during the musical interlude. <laughs> but, so I, I, I've learned to work with that. Mm, I, the years that we've been doing this. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's my authentic voice. That's right. I, it only comes out when I'm when I'm on the high, <laughs> when I'm tripping, man. <laughs> so now, uh, I see what. Oracle, did you use to instruct people in finding their authentic voice? Uh, well, I decided to use, I was going to use the Isis Oracle, and then I decided to use the Crow's Magic, because I thought Crow's Magic tends to be kind of direct, and so we're talking about finding and using our voice, and oftentimes being clear and being direct is very important, so I thought Crow's Magic would be a great little deck to use for that. Plus, those crows are always calling. They know how to use their voice, and they represent when we hear them, we need to be paying attention to a message or to something going on around us. So, Or they can often herald something coming, oftentimes death, but let's not go there. Um, <laughs> you know, but the fact that they kind of represent this idea of 
pay attention to the message, pay attention to what's going on, struck me as very appropriate for a question about finding or using our voice in the coming month. Mm-hmm. And do you want to know the card? I do. Do you? I yearn to know the card. Actually, I don't care about the card anymore. Oh, all right. Great. Fine. <laughs> Let's play the end credits and go. No. I'm just going to go listen to Crows. <laughs> Which exactly what card did you get? So the card that came up is the Knight of Swords Reversed. And, you know, the Knight of Swords can often be bound in his armor, very defensive, um, afraid of getting hurt, but also very keen to win and oftentimes very keen to engage in the fight. It's like they're always looking for the fight. And so the reversal of this tells me that when we find our voice and use our voice in a most true, authentic and in, uh, uh, way uh, and in using it in integrity, that it's not about the need to make the point, to get our message across, to bludgeon the other person mm-hmm. into coming around to thinking the way that we want them to think. And it's not about worrying about what we're going to say at the expense of listening to what somebody else is saying because we're just waiting for our chance to say what we're already formulating in our head rather than truly responding to what someone has said. So we, and you know, I think of the, the Knight of Swords as, as the fighter or, or fighting a lot of times and reversing it says, stop fighting what wants to come through. Like when we talked about this of being afraid of that, odd story, you know, when I'm suddenly going to mention, do you have credit card debt? Um, And that seems to have nothing to do with the card or the reading or whatever. But the reversal of this says, you know, trust that intuition, trust what's coming through and allow it to simply come out, not with an agenda, not with a need to somehow be right, but simply because it wants to be expressed. And then we will go from there once it has been expressed and see how it's heard, what is responded to as a result of that, and then follow that path to where it leads us rather than thinking we have to guide it to where we need it to be in order to be right and have made our point. That is so hard in the Internet age. <laughs> like, there's, um, you know, the the old truism, don't read the comments, because my Knight of Swords self loves to read the comments. <laughs> and God, there's a there's a I remember there's a t shirt someone was wearing. It was like, It's four AM, honey, come to bed and the person said, I can't there's someone wrong on the internet. But um 'cause I think of that with swords, kind of like the knights can really live in this 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 world where where it's just a little too it's it's not grounded in reality. It's 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 what's in their head. It's they they're trusting their own reaction just a little too much to things and and the Arguments, Knight, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Knight of Swords often rushes in without thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So the reversal here says, stop, breathe, take a moment, think before you speak. Absolutely. And just, you know, what I, I think of Bianca Del Rio every time. Not today, Satan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Like, <laughs> like, ask yourself, are you arguing to understand the person better? Or are you arguing to just win? Right. You know, and, then, and and it makes me think of a saying, and I've probably used this before, but I love this this saying. Um, and it says, before you speak, this would be very Knight of Swords reversed to me. Mm-hmm. Before you speak, ask yourself, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? 
and does it improve upon the silence? Mm. And kind can just mean, am I saying it in a way that is kind and compassionate? It doesn't mean I'm holding my tongue of something that needs to be said. Mm -hmm. It just means, am I saying it in a way that is not an attack, not a judgment? A read. Yeah. Yeah. But it's simply stating. Yeah. Hard to do. So while you were there being direct with them crows, I went to the Oracle of Isis, which we both happen to own, <laughs> and decided to get all mystical and uh, and divorced from reality. And I'm so excited that I did because I got the Temple of Lapis Lazuli. Or do you say Lapis Lazuli or Lapis Lazuli? I say Lapis Lazuli. Okay, good. I used to say Lapis Lazuli, but I said that one. That's not the important thing I see. <laughs> <laughs> the Temple of... Um, so she has uh, in this deck, which has different um, cards associated with aspects of Isis, she has different temples that she connects with. And the uh, Temple of Lapis Lazuli, it's related to, there's a, um, I think it's the Temple of Hathor at Dendera. There's the Immaculate and the Ceiling, the Lapis Ceiling that um, illustrates the stars of the heavens all in Lapis, which is a very expensive stone back then and today. And um, this, she relates to the idea of star people, of greater ancient civilizations that have existed in the universe, that have existed on Earth, that we are descended from. A lot of mystical, or some (laughs) mystical groups believe that we are, you know, the human race is sort of uh, descended from something else, something higher. And whether that's true or not is not important because this is about recognizing that your true voice, your authentic self, is uh, not just in this moment, in this conflict, you know, trying to work this thing out. You are a greater being. You are, you know, we are, as they say, literally made of the stuff of stars. And your your voice is ancient. Your voice, you, you, your soul. If there's anything to all of this, and according to the Temple of Lapis Lazuli, there is. Uh, your soul has experienced many lifetimes to arrive where you are at right now, and you're encouraged to speak what is true and not shift yourself to make room for something else that someone else would find more pleasing. This is not the time to. Um, just try and say the thing other people you think other people want to hear, because that doesn't allow that. That's not what you're here to do. And of course, you don't want to be a, a, a upright knight of swords and just say whatever you think all the time, uh, when without any care or concern for other people. But this is about when it's important for you to speak what you know is right, what you know is true, to stand up for what you believe in. Um, because it's not just something you're feeling. It's not just because you're hangry. You know, you missed lunch and now your your, your blood sugar is doing things to you. Your voice, your true voice comes from a place much higher and much deeper. And there's a lovely invocation here so that you can use <laughs> or play back and listen to my dulcet tones. I call in the temple of Lapis Lazuli. I call upon the beings of love unconditionally. I call forth the awakening of my own inner eye. I call forth my wisdoms from peoples of the sky. I call on the protection, peace, 
and wisdom within me, I now declare that I am here and free. So I know you have a relationship with this deck. Was there anything you would want to add to the Temple of Lapis Lazuli? Well, the one thing it made me think of was, you know, Lapis was one of the stones that the high priests would wear in their breastplates. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a reminder for us to speak from that place of authority. And, and the only authority we really have is over knowing our own mind, our own thoughts, our own hearts. So True only that. speak from there rather than speaking from a place that assumes we know what somebody else is thinking mm-hmm. or where somebody, else heart, somebody else's heart lies. Um, and it also says it's having the wisdom to know when and what to say mm. rather than the need to simply be a part of the noise. Absolutely. So... Say well if you can say what if you can speak your truth without having to equivocate or apologize or make room for it, you can just say what it is you're saying and then stop. <laughs> you will have you will have spoken your truth and whether anyone else cares to do anything with it is not entering into the equation. This is just about your standing up for what is right. So. So there endeth the lesson. <laughs> thank you, the, teacher. Thank you. Yes. Now I'm going to go heal all of the wounds <laughs> of everyone that I come across and let them know what their angels just told me. Yes. Because people's angels do that, you know. They just <laughs> text me. <laughs> like, get a load of this bitch. And I will stand beside you as you do that, advising you. Yes. The Don't best way to do it. Don't say that. Just stop saying it. Stop talking. <laughs> Be kind. Be true. Be be kind. Be necessary. Be silent. Be silent. Stop speaking. Stop speaking. Don't say a word. Mm. Don't speak. (laughs) So we encourage everyone, find your voice as a reader, or as a person, but maybe as a reader, if you're listening to this show. And uh, Well, but even if you're not a reader, as Mm -hmm. you go through the month, whoever you are, just find your voice of authenticity and integrity. Mm-hmm. Speak truth, but don't speak pain. Don't use words to inflict. Don't use words to incite. Simply speak and then be still. Mm-hmm. And forever hold your peace. <laughs> anyway, all right, I see. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next month. Yes. Amethyst Oracle. We are here on the second Tuesday of every month. So hopefully people will consider joining us. Uh, That means that the next show will air on April 14th at 8 p.m. Pacific. And I'd like to thank our guests, um, us. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We're really great to talk to. uh, Really brilliant. Sparkling personality. Yeah, yeah. so wonderful. Deep, insightful wisdom. <laughs> yes, must do this again. <laughs> well, I look forward to talking with myself more. Yes. I'll go to our website, <laughs> buy our thing. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Well, take care, I see. Thanks, and I'll just remind people if they would like, facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. We shall see you next month. Divination with a queer twist. Divination with a queer twist.
the Amethyst Oracle. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Convergence with John Caracella. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.